If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Tom Shalhoub. I'm Maria Bartiromo, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, August 30th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. Saving us money is going to cost us more. That's what the government is warning in the fight against inflation. It's killing middle-class families, and it's killing the economy. So we've got to bring it down, and yeah, there's going to be some pain. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Dr. Fauci is retiring, and he says looking back over the pandemic, he's proud of the work he did. But Republicans say if they take control of the House or Senate, they plan to hold Dr. Fauci accountable for the pandemic response. I have always respected oversight, legitimate oversight, as an important part of the government process. But I think if you look at what's actually happened and it's been shown by previous hearings, that in many respects, it's less oversight than character assassination. And I'm Charlie Hurt. I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. It's adding fuel to the inflation debate. President Biden's plan to let Americans who qualify under certain income limits off the hook on some federal student loan debt. It focuses the benefit on middle class and working families. But Republicans are adamantly opposed. It is reckless. It's immoral. Uh, Frankly, it's illegal. Why? Congressman Byron Donalds tells Fox News Sunday. Congress has not discussed this proposal. Congress has not voted on this proposal. On that same show, Cedric Richmond said that's not true. The senior advisor to the Democratic National Committee asserts it is based on a law that allowed President Trump and President Biden to delay loan repayment. It's the same legislation that allows him to forgive $10,000 worth of debt and $20,000 worth of debt to those who were on Pell Grants, which is the hardest and lowest income people that are going to college. Republicans say we will all be paying for that. Well, the economic effects are clearly negative. Steve Moore is a former Trump advisor, an economist at the Heritage Foundation. We don't know the exact price tag of this, so the rough estimates are somewhere between $300 billion to a half a trillion dollars of costs that will be put on the back of the taxpayers, many of whom did take out loans and did repay them. So, you know, we've now got about $4 trillion of additional spending and debt under Biden in just 18, 20 months. And that has negative effects, no question about it. You can't borrow your way to prosperity. And so I am very uh, nervous about the economic ramifications, but I think I'm more concerned as an economist about kind of what this, what kind of signal this sends to people who didn't pay their debts the way they should. Now, some people may be in special circumstances where they can't, but, you know, there's a lot of people who make over $100,000 and not repaying their student loan. They're making more money than the average guy on the street who didn't go to college, and then that plumber or electrician or small businessman or woman has to pay more taxes. That fairness issue, I think, is where Americans are really upset. Now, the White House has pushed back, and they've mentioned several Republicans by name, including like Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, that they had. PPP loans during COVID, these loans for businesses, forgiven 
a lot of money. So they're upset about student loans, but they were fine with their money being forgiven. Well, I think it's a legitimate point. I don't think anybody should not pay their debts. <laughs> I think, you know, if you sign on the dotted line and you agree to repay something, you should do it. Now, if you're having some financial troubles, then you work with the bank or the lender to restructure the loan. But I I'd never believe that people should be, quote, forgiven for their debts, except for extraordinary circumstances. Well, the PPP loans, though, a lot of people, a lot of small businesses, there were certain conditions on those loans, That's right? True. That they didn't have yes. to pay back. That was built in, wasn't it? It was. I mean, in fact, it was really more of a grant program than a loan program, frankly. So I, I don't know the numbers, but I know there were a lot of businesses across the country that, that just took the money and they never repaid the loan. And, and that's why the government shouldn't be in this business in the first place, frankly. Okay, on the flip side, people who don't have to pay that debt anymore, could that spur them to spend more, which isn't consumer spending a good part of the economy? Well, I mean, under that logic, nobody should repay their loan. <laughs> I, mean, okay. I mean, it's an it's an idiotic argument, Frank. I'm not saying this against you. I know that's, that okay. that's what a lot of the politicians I've been are called saying. that before. You know what? If I don't have to pay, <laughs> if I don't have to pay my mortgage and the and the taxpayer pick it up for me, then I'll have more money to go to the movie theater. <laughs> I mean, that's the argument. It's it's rather uh, a foolish argument. Now, I think where this is going, though, and you've heard Bernie Sanders over the weekend talking about this. He's the obviously the liberal senator from. Vermont, he said, well, let's just get rid of the student loan program and make college free to everybody. Yeah, that, well, know, that's, free. Been, that's been a progressive now, that, push for years now. Exactly. And this is a big step towards doing that. And of course, if you think college is expensive now in terms of tuitions, you make it free to the people who receive the services, you're going to soon be seeing colleges cost $100,000 a year, all put on the back of uh, of the students. I, I think the, the other villain here in this whole student loan story and all this unpaid debt is the universities themselves. I mean, they've ripped off Americans' families for now 30 years with incredibly crazy increases in their tuitions. Every time we increase the amount of student loans, it doesn't make college more affordable. They just raise their tuitions. So it's like a dog chasing its tail. Away from the student loan issue, <laughs> yeah. we have inflation that still is an issue in our economy. There was a lot of controversy when the July numbers came out, mm -hmm. because month to month, there was overall zero inflation, which President Biden made a big deal of. Mm -hmm. And the Republicans were saying, well, he's wrong. Prices year over year rose eight and a half percent. But for one month, inflation yep. did not go up. Was the, isn't, that, isn't that a sign of progress? Uh, yeah. I mean, yes, the answer is definitely, although it's like, uh, they used this analogy before, but it's like if you climb up, 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 all the way to the very peak of uh, the mountain, and now you're at the top of Mount Everest, and then you go down 100 feet and you say, look at the progress I'm making coming down. Okay. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's right. sort of where we are right now. Now, it, you are right, though. The numbers have been better on inflation over the last couple of months than they were the first you know, seven or eight months of this year. So that's, that's a good sign. But a lot of that is due to the fact that, for example, most of the reduction in inflation over the last two months has been due to the reduction in gasoline prices by about a dollar a gallon from $5 a gallon. Now they're yeah. a little under $4 a gallon. Down 11 but, weeks in a row. Yeah, that's right. But the major reason for that, do you know, what, do you know why gas prices are down? 
Well, there's less buying of gas. People are driving less (laughs) because they can't afford to pay five and six dollars a gallon to fill up their tank. So I do think that you know we may see another spike up. I'm really worried about where the direction of energy prices, not just gas prices. The big story that needs to be covered more is that look at what's happening to, for example, the price of natural gas, which you don't use natural gas for your tank in your car, you use natural gas for your electricity, your home heating, your air conditioning, and those prices have tripled in the last 18 months. We're going to see big, big sticker shock in people's utility bills uh, when they pay those. Some say that they could be up by 100% over what they were last year. All right. Now, there is a little more concern lately. There was a big stock market plunge on Friday after the Federal Reserve chairman indicated that they'll remain aggressive, raising interest rates to cut inflation. And Steve, I want your reaction to what Fed Chair Jerome Powell said. While higher interest rates, slower growth, and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, they will also bring some pain to households and businesses. These are the unfortunate costs of reducing inflation. But a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain. Do you agree with him? Yeah, 100%. And I've been saying this, by the way, for a year, that the Fed made a big, big mistake. They've been way behind the curve on inflation. So it was just a little, uh, roughly a year ago, exactly, that the uh, Fed chairman said that uh, inflation was transitory. Right. It was just going to go away. (laughs) It's going to go away. And they were wrong. They were wrong, wrong, wrong for nine, ten months. They've admitted that. Even the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, has said they were wrong about that. Really wrong. (laughs) And so uh, that's why we're in the fix we're in right now. But I've used this analogy before. Inflation is like a cancer cell in the body. And you can't let the inflation metastasize or it's going to kill the entire you know organism, the, the whole uh, e- economy. So, yes, Jerome Powell is right that we have to take some tough love measures here. And it's almost like, again, to follow through with analogies like chemotherapy. Is chemotherapy any fun? No, it's a terrible thing to go through. But you got to do it to get rid of the cancer. Yeah. We have to we have to get we cannot move forward with 8 percent inflation. It's killing middle class families and it's killing the economy. So we've got to bring it down. And yeah, there's going to be some pain. Yeah. Well, we've had two straight quarters of GDP decline. It was very slight in the second quarter of this year, yet Mm -hmm. we're still dealing with the possibility. I mean, there was a whole debate over what the definition of a recession is. We all went through that. Do you think that we risk a third quarter in a row with further interest rate increases? Yeah. I've been saying, you know, for the last since the beginning of the year, that the United States is in what I call a soft recession. So it's not a deep recession, but the economy has been contracting. It hasn't been growing overall. Now, so far this quarter, we're a month in, the growth rate is, you know, we don't know exactly, one to one and a half percent positive. That's a not a good number, but it's not negative. So we will see. It's too early to tell. Uh-huh. Uh, whether or not all of these rate increases will slow down the economy. But I'll tell you one area where you're definitely going to see a slowdown and you're already seeing it. You know what sector I'm talking about? What is it? Housing. Housing. And housing has been a real driver of the growth over the last 10 years. You yeah. know, we've seen a bull market in housing. My gosh. Well, we had and really low mortgage rates. That's right. And prices were going up and up and up, and so people were trying to take advantage of that and sell. Exactly. And so uh, you've seen that flip, though, just in the last four or five months. So a really hot housing market has really cooled off considerably. Now, 
the, one of the reasons for that is because mortgage rates are, are rising. You're exactly right. Four or five months ago, you know, you could get a 30-year mortgage for, you know, three, three and a half percent. Now they're five and a half percent, maybe headed to six. And now why does that matter? Let's say you want to buy a house for $500,000, which is maybe a little bit over the median in the United States. You're going to pay at those higher mortgage rates over uh, the 30-year mortgage a couple hundred thousand dollars more in interest payments. Can that bring an overall economy down or not? Oh, are you kidding me? Have you forgotten about 2008? Yeah, well, that's a lot of de- that was a lot of defaults. I mean, were you going to have a lot of defaults? Um, hopefully not, but you know, you might see that because if the home values fall, then people have a less incentive to pay the mortgage, right? So what happened in 2008 is people actually had a bigger mortgage than they had value in the home. Hmm. Remember that? Yeah. And that's when you had the complete crash. Yeah. Now, look, I'm not I'm not trying to sound apocalyptic. I don't think we're going to see the kind of crash we saw in 2008, which was devastating. But I think you could see an increase in the amount of number of people who just say, I'm having a problem paying my mortgage. And I think you might see higher default rates. OK, so the Fed keeps doing what it's doing. It raises rates. When do you think inflation is stabilized and we could come out of whatever soft recession you think we're in? Oh, gosh, there's so many different, thousand different things that influence the inflation rate, you know, not just what's happening here in America, what's happening in China, what's happening in Europe. So, you know, if I knew the answer to that question, <laughs> I'd be a really rich guy. Right? So I, I'll be honest, I don't know. I don't know where we're headed with inflation. I do think it's going to come down a bit. But Jerome Powell wants to go to the 2% target, which is where we should be. Boy, it's going to be gut-wrenching to go from 8% to 2%. So I think there he is right. He's being honest. There will be some pain here. Steve Moore, former Trump economic advisor, current economist at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you very much for joining us. Anytime. Thank you very much. News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. This is Charlie Hurt with your Fox News commentary coming up. Dr. Anthony Fauci is retiring from government work at the end of the year. And after he made that announcement, many Republican lawmakers were quick to say if they gain control of the House or Senate this fall, they will bring the doctor back for questioning. The American people deserve answers. They have been through hell. That was Louisiana Republican Senator John Kennedy on Sean Hannity last week. Congressman James Comer wrote in an op-ed that Democrats shielded Fauci from meaningful congressional oversight. And House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said in a statement that Dr. Fauci lost trust when his guidance unnecessarily kept schools and businesses closed. And that if Republicans control the House after midterms, they'll hold him accountable. The most heated exchanges over the course of the pandemic may have been between Dr. Fauci and Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. You won't admit that it's dangerous. And for that lack of judgment, I think it's time that you resign. Thank you, Senator Paul. And I would like um, to give the time to Dr. Fauci. Yeah, well, there were so many things that are egregious misrepresentation here. That exchange happened last fall after the National Institutes of Health sent members of Congress a letter saying experiments they helped fund at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China through a third party called EcoHealth Alliance did lead to the creation of a more infectious virus. Senator Paul said no one claimed what was created then was COVID. But the two men then battled over the definition of the kind of research being conducted at that lab. Before that, 
Emails between Dr. Fauci and others revealed that as the pandemic was beginning, some scientists had told Fauci the virus looked like it might be engineered, after which Fauci organized a conference call. But Fox News anchor Brett Baer noted in an investigative report filed earlier this year. Just four days later, five American, British and Australian researchers who were all on that Fauci conference call authored preliminary findings that abandoned their earlier private beliefs that COVID was likely the result of a laboratory leak. It's unclear what new evidence prompted such a drastic 180. Despite writing in an earlier email that the lab leak theory is a shiny object that will go away in time, Fauci insisted to Brett Baer last month he's always had an open mind about COVID's origins. Now, Dr. Fauci is reflecting on his time under seven presidents as he plans to resign in December. I've been director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases for 38 years. Dr. Anthony Fauci is White House Chief Medical Advisor and the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. And I decided about a year and a half ago that after the Trump administration, I was going to, while I still was vigorous and healthy and enthusiastic about doing things, that I wanted to spend a few years outside of the realm of the federal government pursuing some other interests, particularly trying to inspire the younger generation of physicians, scientists, and would-be physicians and mm-hmm. scientists. I was going to do that a year and a half ago, but President Biden, after he was elected and before his inauguration, asked me to be his chief medical advisor, which I was very honored to do. And I accepted it gladly. And I thought I would do that for a year because I wanted to wait until we got past covid. Mm. And as we all know now, painfully, that didn't happen in just a year. But I think we're in a good place now to get to the point where we will have the virus go into a level that's low enough that it won't be continually disrupting the social order. So I thought that would be the time to announce now in the summer and give a relatively long runway out and leave in December. Dr. Fauci, I think we get the sense now that SARS-CoV-2 isn't going away. We hear now that Pfizer and Moderna are coming up with new vaccines more targeted to the Omicron BA4 and 5. But for some of us, that's just bringing to mind kind of how we handle the flu Like some years, the vaccine matches the strain. Sometimes it doesn't. Can you educate us a little bit about what we're supposed to expect this fall and maybe future fall and winter seasons? I mean, are we getting are we going to be told we need a covid vaccine every year? Well, that is entirely conceivable. Uh, I think it's important that we realize that we're not going to eradicate SARS-CoV-2 because we've only eradicated one viral infection in all of history. And that was smallpox because smallpox doesn't change at all over decades and decades and decades. That was the reason why we essentially eradicated it. We've eliminated a couple of infections, for example, polio and measles in the United States, also because those viruses don't change. And when you do get immunity, either through infection and or through vaccination with things like polio and measles, it lasts for decades and likely for a lifetime. We don't have that with COVID. So we will have to live with the fact that this is a virus that we have developed, fortunately, vaccines for and we have therapies for, but it is not going to entirely disappear. So in answer to your question, it very likely will be a situation where we will have to intermittently boost for potency of protection, not only because it likely will change over time, which has already amply shown us that it changes with different variants over time. 
So we likely will have to, and I don't know whether it will be every year, it might be, but we likely would have to boost against this virus to get sustained protection, somewhat similar, maybe not identical, but somewhat similar to what we do with influenza. Doctor, let's talk a little bit about the past. Uh, there was a lot of frustration, as you know, during the pandemic, and some of that got directed at you. Um, people were angry about lockdowns and closures. They felt confused over the vaccine. But now as you head into you know, other endeavors, you do have Republicans like House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Senator Rand Paul, who you've duked it out with in, in different hearings, saying they're going to hold future hearings, especially if they take control of either chamber, and they're going to want you to appear for questioning. Right. What is your response to this? What do you make of it? Well, I mean, they certainly have the right if they are in a position for oversight. I have always respected oversight, legitimate oversight as an important part of the government process. But I think if you look at what's actually happened and it's been shown by previous hearings, that in many respects, it's less oversight than character assassination, hmm. which I don't find to be appropriate. So I will always cooperate with any oversight uh, and I have nothing to hide. So I'm not at all worried or intimidated about anybody asking me any question about what I've done. If you look at my track record, all that I have ever done was to work as hard as I can to protect the American public and to preserve their health and their safety against many, many diseases. So bottom line is I have done my job. I'm proud of it. When you would appear at certain hearings, Senator Rand Paul would question you about NIH funding to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, COVID's origins, uh, the definition of gain of function research. Uh, that's when research is done to make a pathogen more dangerous, to my understanding. And what sort of research was being done in Wuhan? And here you sit, unwilling to accept any responsibility for the current pandemic and unwilling to take any steps to prevent gain of function research from possibly unleashing an even more deadly virus. What do you want people to know now, briefly, about some of the questions and the criticisms um, that Senator Paul had? Well, they were completely uh, misplaced. And I told him that publicly <laughs> on public TV when he was doing that. They were really character assassinations. I mean, he would start off instead of what I would call legitimate, dignified oversight. He would start off by saying, why aren't you going to admit to be responsible for the death of five million people? Now, that's kind of ridiculous. So that's the reason why we clashed. It wasn't a question of trying to figure out how we can make things better. It was purely accusatory. That was the reason why we clashed. It wasn't because of legitimate oversight. The director of the CDC has said, um, as you know, that they failed in some ways during the pandemic and that the agency needs an overhaul. They'd been too academic, not communicative enough. The, the goal now is to make some data more easy to digest and find that guidance needs to be more actionable. I assume you agree with that assessment. I mean, did you weigh in and what, what sort of changes, I guess, do you think are needed in light of what we've learned? Well, the CDC had has has still hopefully to be corrected soon, some real cultural problems that fortunately have now been recognized. And in a probing investigation of how things went with COVID, the CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Wilinski, who is a valued colleague and a close friend of mine, I think made a very good and brave choice to look deep down into the functioning of the CDC and to realize that their performance 
during the early years and even up in some respects to the present in COVID-19 was not optimal. The best way to correct something is to own it and see what you can do to correct it. And that's exactly what she's trying to do. I think it's safe to say your name is going to go down in the history books. I mean, other countries took their cues from you, too. You might go down in the history books in other in other parts of the world. Uh, we heard you quoted in Israeli media, British media. When you think about your legacy in light of what you just said also about looking back, what do you hope people, I guess, remember you for? And do you wish looking back right now while you're still in this position that you've done anything differently during the pandemic? Well, first of all, I would hope that people would look upon me and what I've done actually in the context of the truth of what I've done. I've devoted my entire professional life, almost 60 years, to science medicine for the purpose of protecting and preserving the health of the American public and indirectly for the rest of the world, as you mentioned, because they know about me and the rest of the world only because the United States is a leader in public health medicine and science. The question one always gets asked, would you do anything different? Well, when you're dealing with an emerging problem, like an emerging infectious disease, on a week by week basis, as you get more data and more evidence, you absolutely would do things different because you have to make decisions on the basis of what you know. And in an evolving pandemic, what you get at the first glimpse of what you're dealing with is almost invariably quite different than how things ultimately evolve. Hmm. So, of course, if all of us in the public health arena, if we knew back then what we know now, we certainly would have done some things differently because the situation changed in a very dynamic way. Finally, doctor, um, we know initially some scientists had emailed you questioning the origins of SARS-CoV-2, and then they changed their minds. I think Christian Anderson is one such scientist. He ended up answering some questions about his reversal with the New York Times and essentially said after further review, it appears to be a naturally occurring virus. I, I know you've said you lean in that direction as well, but you also said to us a while back, we may not ever fully know because of a lack of cooperation from China. Do you still feel that way? Will we ever truly know the origin of this? Well, we don't have an absolute certainty but the overwhelming amount of epidemiologic and scientific data strongly point to the fact that this was a natural occurrence. However, since we don't know for sure, we keep an open mind, myself included, that it might have been something like a lab leak, an accidental laboratory leak. And that's the reason why we keep that possibility open. Dr. Fauci, are you going to write a book? I know you're going to be educating all these people, uh, but are you going to also write a book? I don't know. It likely will be. I mean, one of the ways you can educate younger generation is in a historic way. You can do that by lecturing, by writing. If that writing takes the form of a book, fine. I very well might do that. Dr. Anthony Fauci, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Good to be with you.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to Tyrus and Tim. Every week, Fox Nation host Tyrus and Fox News contributor Kat Tim give their hot takes, explore weird headlines, and share amusing stories. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Charlie Hurt. Charlie Hurt. What's on your mind? The truth keeps getting more and more inconvenient. Just ask the inventor of the Internet, the former vice president and America's forever next president, Albert Gore. Just as soon as his political career went down the tubes, Mr. Gore grew a beard, drove through Canada and turned himself into Dr. Doomsday. But back when it all started a couple of decades ago, inconvenient truth sounded pretty believable. You can make all the predictions in the world on day one. Mr. Gore made himself fabulously wealthy, peddling the greatest horror show on Earth. Who isn't going to pay to see tornadoes of wind fire, floods of burning lakes, and clouds of black carbon choking out humanity, then riots of looting zombies to pick off anyone who survived the ecological collapse of Mother Earth? Scriptwriters in Hollywood and internet scammers could not think up a more fantastical fraud. The only thing going extinct these days are the predictions from Mr. Gore and his fellow ministers of doom. Luckily for Mr. Gore, however, he spent enough time as a politician to be immune from shame. Meanwhile, things aren't going so well for the rest of the purveyors of Mr. Gore's dark religion. President Biden got into the White House, and apparently nobody told him that the whole lunatic, green, inconvenient truth agenda was a scam designed to shake down industrial corporations and make people like Mr. Gore fabulously corpulent. Mr. Biden, or whoever is acting in loco parentis on his behalf inside the White House, took the whole thing seriously and launched a holy war on American energy independence just as soon as he got into office. The Biden administration jacked up oil prices, gas prices so high around the world that Mr. Gore wasn't the only crazed autocrat making it filthy rich. Russian President Vladimir Putin was suddenly drowning in wealth after limping along in poverty during the previous administration. And like Jed Clampett in the Beverly Hillbillies, Mr. Putin loaded up his truck and his tanks and his personnel carriers and his missile launchers and invaded Ukraine. You can call it Mr. Putin's war or Mr. Biden's war or the first war of the Green New Deal, but it's also Mr. Gore's war. Only Mr. Biden was dumb enough to fall for it all. And now the rest of Europe is stuck paying the very real consequences of Mr. Gore's giant scam that Mr. Biden was dumb enough to take seriously. As a result of Mr. Biden's climate war and Mr. Putin's Ukraine invasion, Europe cannot afford electricity. It is so bad that this month, Germany announced it will reverse plans to shut down nuclear power plants in order to keep the lights on in this brave new world created by Mr. Gore and Mr. Biden. Yes, nuclear power is the cleanest mass energy source on Earth, yet somehow fell out of favor in Mr. Gore's Church of Climate Change, probably because it actually solves the problems that have made Mr. Gore so wealthy. But even keeping the nuclear power plants running won't repair all the damage Mr. Biden and Mr. Gore have inflicted on Germany, long one of the most committed nations on Earth to the inconvenient truth charade. The country is even looking to restart 16 decommissioned power plants that burn coal. Now that Mr. Gore's biggest scam is drying up, it is probably time for him to start investing in some coal mines. After all, it takes a lot of money to keep a guy like that flying around on private jets. I'm Charles Hurt, Fox News contributor. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Getting Schooled is a podcast hosted by Fox Nation's Abby Hornacek. Each week, Abby and her expert guests tackle topics we take for granted and help explain the roots and meanings behind them. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News. 
This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.